Good morning, y'all. Chris, why are you so tall? Like, So this is fun. Like, literally right as the prayer ended, I dropped all of my papers. So let's hope that's the right order. So. See, but I'm not that good, of, good at improv. It, uh, that just wouldn't be good. Okay, so last week we finished up, sorry, two weeks ago, we finished up our sermon series um, called Life Upside Down, which was looking at the Sermon of the, on the Mount. And last week Dave started a started us off in our new sermon series called Life Inside Out, which follows exactly after the Sermon on the Mount, picking up in Matthew chapter 8. So last week, we saw Jesus perform three miracles. First, he healed the leper, then a centurion's servant, which, by the way, I have a speech impediment, so some words come out kind of funky. So anyway, and then lastly, we saw him heal and there I go. I lost my spot. Peter's mother-in-law. There we go. Sorry. Okay. So, and the point of last week, the whole thing was that we see that Jesus has the power and the authority. He has the authority over sickness. He has power to heal it. So, through those, we clearly see that he has the power to heal our physical ailments. But more importantly, we know he has the power to heal our spiritual ones as well. He has the power to forgive our sin to change us. And only he has that authority. So this week we're going to be continuing in Matthew 8, 18 through um, 34. So if you have your Bibles or apps, go ahead and turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen. So, yeah, that's impossible to read. (laughs) So we have this little screen back there. So if y'all turn around, just just try and make out what what that says. (laughs) So, That's why I'm really glad I have the verses on my notes. So, starting in verse 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So just to clarify, a little bit of time. We're not sure how much time has passed, but some time has passed between Matthew 7 and Matthew 8. Um, so although, although they appear right next to each other, there has been some time. Um, but anyway, so picture this. Jesus is surrounded by this crowd, and he turns to his disciples and says, okay, let's go to the other side, because they're close to the Sea of Galilee. So the disciples start packing everything up in the boat, and they're getting ready to go. And then all of a sudden, these two men run up to him, and they're like, wait, Jesus, Jesus, before you leave, take us with you. So one of the, and also this was fairly typical behavior for Jesus. We see him a number of times, um, just in the book of Matthew alone, when he's surrounded by a crowd to dismiss the crowd and teach in a more intimate setting. Um, so we see this a number of times throughout scripture, so, so it's fairly common. Um, And as Dave said last week, Jesus does not just want the crowds. He wants disciples. So yes, he would teach to these crowds, but he was more interested in teaching to the individual that they would give their life to him. So so like I said, these two people came running up to him, and the first one that approaches 
um, he's described as a scribe, which means he would have been a teacher. And what he says to Jesus, he refers to him as a teacher as well. So this would have been a huge sign of respect to Jesus that this scribe was calling him teacher. So it really seems like this guy is being super genuine when he asks Jesus and when he tells him, I will follow you everywhere. Which, by the way, could have been quite, he could have meant that quite literally. I will literally follow you around. Because that's what a lot of disciples did in that day. They literally followed. So he could have very well meant, I will go with you wherever you, wherever you go. But he could have also been talking about what, what we refer more to as discipleship. Um, like us following Jesus, because we can't literally follow him around today. Um, so anyway, he said, I will follow you wherever you go. But then Jesus answered to him. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Seems kind of harsh at first, doesn't it? Like this guy's like, Jesus, I want to give my life to you. I want to follow you around everywhere. And Jesus is like, but do, do you know what you're doing? Do you realize that this is the life that, that I'm doing? I have, no, I have nowhere to call home. I'm traveling around everywhere. Do you realize what this might cost for you? So then another person runs up. And the second person that runs up is just simply described as another, one, another disciple. Um, so first of all, by calling this man another disciple, it kind of insinuates that the, that the first man was a disciple as well. But in this instance, again, we're not, the disciple doesn't really have that, con, that context that we're thinking about today, meaning like a dedicated follower. It simply means a follower. Um, so we see kind of variations of the word disciple used. So like there is the 12 disciples. That's not what this is referring to. They're not saying that he's one of the 12, but merely a follower of Jesus. So it's not really talking about the intens- intensity of how much they're following them, but just describing him as a follower. So, this man asks a seemingly reasonable request to go bury his father. Um, Now, we don't know if his father had already died or if his father was just elderly. Um, That's all kind of speculation. Um, But what we do know is that in this day and age, it would have been common, in fact, it's expected for sons to bury their fathers. That was the honorable thing to do. So, it seems like a reasonable request, doesn't it? Let me go bury my dad. But Jesus responds to him with kind of like an even harsher re- response than the first. Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Again, it's kind of like, wow, I wanted to follow you. And then you reply with this. But is Jesus saying for this man to go and dishonor his father? No, not at all. What he is saying, though, is don't put that above me. Don't put that above me. Don't put anything else above me. I'm first in your life. Yeah, so see, now my pages are out of order. This is fun. Um, So some scholars have said that this man was taking it literally, that this man was literally meaning, can I go follow you around, Jesus? And that when Jesus responded saying, you, you either do this now, you have the option to go do this now or stay here and bury your father. He was taking it, some scholars say that it was literal and that this man was saying, let me come follow you right now. And Jesus is like, no, I'm about to get into the boat. We have to go now. Well, that may be 
semi-valid, it's missing the way bigger picture of the spiritual implications of this, of Jesus saying, don't put anything before me. Um, Pastor Gary phrased it this way. Jesus does not want us to say, I will follow you after blank happens. He wants us to follow him now. He doesn't, he doesn't want it to be a question of priority that are we going to put this above, above him? No, he wants to be first in our lives, first and foremost. And so ultimately what Jesus was telling them is that discipleship can't be qualified. You can't say, okay, Jesus, I'll follow you, but here's my list of demands. It can't be qualified. We are dedicating our lives to follow him. And later on in Matthew 16, Jesus describes to disciples that to follow him, they will need to deny themselves, take up their cross, and then they can follow him. So we kind of get this picture of us dying to ourselves and instead living for Christ, letting him live through us. And that's exactly what Jesus is getting to in this, in this section. We, had, we see these two men come and want to follow him. One man wanted to jump on, jump on the train too quickly before deciding what it may cost him. The other one was too hesitant. But here's Jesus saying, follow me. But just as with... Hello? Okay, cool. Sorry. Um, just as with the first man, we see that Jesus said there is a cost. And that cost is us giving our lives to him, dedicating it to him, following him wholeheartedly, dying to ourselves. So, moving on in verse 23 through 27. And when he got on the boat, his—by the way, it doesn't really say whether these men followed him or not. Um, We kind of assume they don't, um, but nothing really indicates one way or another. Um, Yeah, we kind of assume they don't. So, anyway, he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they woke, they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? So, at this point, they were on the Sea of Galilee, probably in a fishing boat, which wasn't very big. Um, the Sea of Galilee was about 13 miles by seven and a half miles. So that's roughly about a half marathon by a quarter marathon. So some of you have probably run, run the length of the Sea of Galilee. So not terribly big, but it was known for having these sudden storms. So cold air would come off the mountains, hit the warm air, and you have a good storm. So that's exactly what happened when they're on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus. All of a sudden, this huge storm hits, and it's throwing the boat around. The disciples are panicking, and they're calling out to Jesus, save us, save us. And so one thing that really stood out to me that, that was kind of funny, during all of this, Jesus is asleep. I think it's important to point this out for one, one really big reason. We know that Jesus was fully God and fully human. This shows his human, his human nature. 
He was tired. He was, he was sleeping. So Jesus isn't, he can, darn it, I lost the word. He can sympathize with us. That's the word. He can sympathize with us. He knows what we're going through because he's been there. But, so anyway, the disciples are freaking out. They go to wake up Jesus, and they're, they're asking him to save us. And remember, this wasn't just raining. This was storming. It was throwing the boat to and fro. And this, if, you, if you read, it says the boat was swamped, meaning it was taking on water. So in any other case, the disciples had a legitimate reason to be freaked out. I'm not much of a sailor, but I can imagine if I'm, out, if I'm out on the sea and all of a sudden my boat starts taking on water, I'm probably going to freak out. But what they forgot is who's in the boat with them. So, have any of y'all ever been on a, on a cruise before? Yeah? Okay, so I love cruises. They're so great. You're sitting in this big boat and it's just slowly rocking back and forth. It's kind of lulling you to sleep. It's great. That's not what this was. This was a tiny boat. The waves were big. It was tossing it around. So if you have that image of, of sitting on a cruise rocking back and forth in your mind, get that out of your head. That's not what was happening. So the disciples were terrified. And they wake Jesus up. And again, I find this hilarious too. Jesus rebukes them while the storm's still happening. So he doesn't calm the storm and then rebukes them. He rebukes them while the storm's still happening. So I kind of have this funny image in my head of the disciples sitting there and being like, Jesus, save us. He wakes up. He's sitting there rebuking them. And one of them is just like, can you, can you stop the storm? Like, and then get on to us. Anyway, I just had this really funny image in my head of that happening. But that's how it went. He rebuked them, and then he calmed the storm. But one of the cool things about it is he's, he rebukes the wind and the waves, and then instant calm. The waves weren't still crashing around. It was calm. Have you ever jumped into a swimming pool and then, like, just watch, watch how the water reacts after you jump in? <laughs> no, Nate, it's not, it's not a fat joke. Um, so when you jump into a swimming pool... The waves start crashing around. Even once you get out, they're still rolling around for a little bit. And it takes a little bit before the water's all nice and calm again. But that's not what was happening here. Jesus rebuked it, and it was calm instantly. And again, we see that Jesus has not, not only the authority over sin, not only the authority over sicknesses, but also over nature. So, ultimately, I think the disciples didn't realize just who was in that boat with them. He calls them a you of little faith, meaning they weren't trusting in him. I kind of think back to um, Matthew chapter um, 7, when Jesus talked about building, your house, building a house on the sand or on the rock. And... And he says, when the storms of life come, if it's built on that sand, it's going to fail. It's going to fall. But if it's built on that rock, that solid foundation, it's going to withstand those storms. Well, guess what? The disciples were in in a storm. And 
They're looking to Jesus to save them. They're crying out for help. And he does help them. And I also think it's kind of funny that the disciples are sitting here begging him to do it and begging them to save him. And whenever he does, they're like, what? You can do that? And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? It's like whenever we go to to a magician. We know something cool is going to happen. And then when it does, we're just like, oh, he can do that? Except with Jesus, it's not a trick. He actually has this power. He actually has this authority. But I'm not entirely sure that the disciples realized just who he was. Just how powerful he was. Again, notes out of order. This is fun. Okay, so, and when the disciples came to the other side of the country of the Gardenese, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they carried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the men, going into the city, told them everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Okay, so picture this. This demon-possessed man that's so strong, so powerful, no one will even walk on the road that he's near because they, they, can't, restri- they can't keep him tamed. Um, if we read in some of the other um, parallel passages to this, such as Mark and Luke, we can see that they tried cha- chaining him down. It didn't work. He broke the chains. Um, so there's this man, and Jesus comes up to him, and they instantly recognize him. They know who he is. They're, they're not like, who are you? No, they know exactly who he is. And they say, what have you to do with us, O son of God? They called him the son of God. They knew exactly who he was. And they knew exactly what he could do. And that's why they asked him, have you come here to torment us before the time? Because they knew they were under his authority. So, They knew that he was the Messiah, and as one person puts it, Jesus may not be their Lord in the sense that they lovingly and willingly obey him, but he is their master in the sense that they must yield to his authority. And that's from an anonymous source. We don't actually know who said it. Um, But, so these demons ask Jesus if they can have permission to move into this herd of pigs. Um, Now, reading from Mark, we know that the herd of pigs was about 2,000 pigs, so that's a lot of pigs. Um, we can also assume that this was a Gentile farmer because they had pigs, um, which a Jewish person would not have done, or at least not if they were following what they should have. Um, so they ask him, and he says yes. So all these demons go into these pigs, and they run off the side of the cliff. 
Now, we're not entirely sure why um, they ran off the cliff. People have made speculations about it, um, but the Bible doesn't tell us why. Um, so I was reading a few, th- a few theories of why they might have run off the cliff. Um, some say it's just because they hated God's creation so much. Um, others say because they wanted to um, make the Gentiles mad at Jesus for killing their, for killing their livestock. Um, but again, we, we don't know. Those are just purely speculation. Um, but... Anyway, to focus on, the, on why the pigs ran off the cliff is to miss the bigger picture. That Jesus had that power and the authority over the demons. That they, they wouldn't do anything until he said okay. They didn't just try to escape the man. They asked him. And Jesus had to tell them okay before they went and did it. Um, so as this moves on, we see... In other passages, we see that Jesus sent that man, the man that was demon-possessed back out into the city to proclaim his name. Um, now, Matthew doesn't record that, but we can see it in, in Mark and Luke. So, as this herdsman runs off and tells the other people in the town what happened, they come back, and they ask Jesus to leave. Which... It's kind of like, okay, he just cast out this, this demon-possessed man that's been bothering all of y'all. But you, you want him to leave. So the people in this town, they were so mad. They were so scared that they couldn't even be happy that this guy was free of this. That Jesus freed this guy from this torment of these demons. Instead, they wanted to kick him out. So, as you're going through your discussions today, um, there's one question that's going to ask, that, that will have you discuss, that even the demons knew who Jesus was. They knew he was the Son of God. What's the difference between them knowing him as the Son of God, and us knowing him. So I really hope y'all, y'all can spend a lot of time on that question today um, and get deep into it. So, but before we go, let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this day. Um, I thank you for the opportunity to come here um, to pursue you, to learn more about you. Um, I pray that we will have fruitful discussions, Lord, um, that you will open our eyes, open our hearts, And let us be real with each other, that we can build each other up, and that we can follow you wholeheartedly, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.